My name is Eric Mercier. I'm from Dyer, Indiana. And my name is Megan Mercier. I grew up in Lowell, and we've been married for 10 years oh, and yeah. have six kids. I was a drug addict for 12 years. I had overdosed, and I was riding into it, the hospital in an ambulance. And I had a moment where I started to come to in the ambulance, and they started uh, yelling at me, like, keep your eyes open. And I remember in that moment just deciding to like close my eyes and let go. And this peace like washed over me. And I heard a voice and it said, you can let go now if you want to, but these people are pulling for you to make it. And I seen a picture, it was like an antique picture. And, and I recognized my face, but I couldn't see the faces of the others. And it was a woman with dark hair and a little like blonde boy. I held on to that image because I had always wanted a family. So that really gave me motivation to sober up. She became pregnant six months after we got married. And I'm like, I just remember like, oh, this is it. Like, I could, I could see the promise being fulfilled. And it was a boy, so we're just like mountaintop. But then we noticed that the tech like turns the computer and her face like kind of loses its color and she couldn't find a heartbeat. So they were like, we're gonna send you for an emergency ultrasound downstairs. And his heartbeat was half of what it should have been. Yeah, and I just remember coming home that night just in like shock. I think for the first time, you know, me and my wife started like in, engage in spiritual warfare for our son. Mm -hmm. But since day one, since the second Jack was born, he has had no heart issues whatsoever. God has completely healed my son it's funny that it, the enemy came after his heart because Jack's heart is one of the most special things most about him, just his kindness and caring and compassionate. Nine months after Jack was born, we're pregnant again. Everything through the pregnancy was fine, um, but about six, when she was about six months old, we realized like some things were not what they should be. She wasn't hitting milestones. She had to have um, an MRI done, and the MRI kind of showed that she had some abnormalities with the way that her brain formed. They were telling us that she probably wouldn't walk. We were looking at a 25-year like life expectancy for her, um, feeding tubes, wheelchairs. We came home from that doctor's visit, and uh, I just went up in my room, and I, and I broke. And I'll never forget, he began to speak. I felt like he downloaded images to me of, of, of Gwen like growing up and going through all the milestones, but Instead of being in a wheelchair, she was, she was happy, she was healthy, and she was whole. So we would tuck her in at night and we'd pray for her. And we would always say, all right, Gwenny, we love you. Good night. Tomorrow you're going to stand up and you're going to walk. And it didn't happen right away. And mm -hmm. then there were nights where we would say, it, okay, Gwenny, we love you. Good night. In the morning, you're going to stand up and you're going to walk. Um, and then we would, I would go to bed and I would just cry myself to sleep. And it was that constant battle of like, I believe but help my unbelief. And then little by little, she started doing things that they said she would never do. Then eventually, it was right before her second birthday, she like took her very first steps. And mm -hmm. they were like, I don't know, every word that she might never walk just like broke and fell to the ground. Yeah. And then she just took off and now she's seven and she does everything that everyone else does. In 2020, Megan becomes pregnant again. It's another little girl. And we're so excited, you know. Pregnancy and was smooth. She's born, and when babies are born, they do the test where they like poke their heel and take the blood. As we take three tests, 
all test positive for genetic anomalies. And three separate ones. So Jack, they were saying his heart, Gwen was her brain, and Miriam's was her blood. I felt such a wrestle because I'm like, God, like, we fought the bear. We fought the lion in the wilderness. Like, we could face a giant. Like, God, will, he'll do it again. But then also, like, I, I struggled with doubt. At the time the song Rattle came out, God began to speak to me and minister to me through that, that verse in Rattle where it's like, He's not running out of miracles anytime soon. Like resurrection power runs in my veins too. I believe there's another miracle here in this room. And it's like, man, God, I, I could believe for just one more. So he's listening to that song at home and doesn't know that I'm listening to that song in the car, driving her to that appointment and just hearing and feeling the mm -hmm. same thing from the Holy Spirit. Like if there's another miracle in the room and Miriam and I are the only two people in the car, then I know that God has another miracle for her. You know, we made an appointment with the pediatrician, they wanted to do an extensive mm -hmm. like, um, test on her to figure, figure out exactly what's going on. We get the test back, they tested 150 different enzymes in her, and it was a complete, clear bill of health. Every they didn't find anything, <laughs> every single one was fine. And even watching like the way that the body of Christ at Livingstones just rallied around us every step of the way. Like we were prayed for, we were loved. We had people babysit our kids so we could get other kids mm -hmm. to appointments. Constantly like the right people giving us the right words at the right time. And just the service was like everything to me. And they believed big, radical, bold faith prayers with us. Excellent. Yeah, they, they met us where we were at. And, and they helped us to steward the, the little faith we had until God, you know, increased us, yeah. and increased our family. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's our, our story. story. Yeah. <laughs> Just do me a favor for a second. Look to the person to your left. While everyone's looking to the back of their head. All right, now to your other side, your right. So it turns out that God's doing amazing stories in our midst. There are comedies, there are tragic stories, there's action stories, okay? And we might not even know about it. And that's part of the reason why we went through this series, Tell Us Your Story. It's because God's doing amazing things. He's writing his stories in our hearts. He's writing his stories in our everyday lives. But we're so busy sometimes. And sometimes we got our own wounds, our own hurts, that we can't look past our own story to see the amazing things that God's doing around us. That's part of why we went through this series and why we're going to talk about the, the, the topic we're going to talk about today. Um, with the launch of Life Group, Pastor Ron commissioned me to give a sermon on the importance of relationships. We have talked about relationship quite a bit at Livingstone's church. We fancy ourselves as a very rela relational church. We like to aspire to great relationships. So we talk about relationship quite a bit. But today I want to kind of come from a different angle on relationships. Because the truth is relationship is hard. Um, if you ever wounded and hurt in a relationship, often you, want, you don't want to go back into it. Um, so I'm coming from a, a little bit different perspective. So bear with me today. I'm going to start by asking you a very, very practical question. I'm going to create a scenario. I'm going to ask you a very practical question. So for a second, imagine yourself, okay, you have a one-on-one -on -one with somebody you really look up to. 
okay? Someone you really aspire to. You say, I want to be like this person when I grow up, okay? It could be a great business leader. You're like, I want to have this kind of business when I grow up. It could be a family member who has amazing marriage. You're like, when I grow up, I want to have this person's marriage. It could be a spiritual leader who has an amazing walk with Jesus. You're like, I want to hear the voice of God clearly like this person. So imagine that person for a second. Just do it. Just going to give you five seconds. Okay? Imagine a person. Okay, so you're sitting across from this person. You have full access to this person. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. You get to only ask one question. One question. What is the one question that disseminates their success into just a few words? What is that one question that distill everything, the essence of who they are, into just one question? You might ask, how did you overcome your greatest challenge? What is the secret to your success? How can I be more like you? You might ask these questions, right? I venture to ask them. The question I would ask them is this. What other disciplines that you practice that nobody else knows about, that no one else practices? What is the secret disciplines you do on a regular basis that nobody knows about? Before I continue, I want to define Andrew's definition for what discipline is. This is not Webster. This is not Wikipedia. This is my definition. It's very simple. A discipline is something you do whether you like it or not. It's very simple. You just do it. You don't think about it. You just do it. Every single one of you is full of disciplines right now, from brushing your teeth, changing your underwear every day, changing the, hopefully, changing the... Changing the oil in your car every 3,000 miles, balancing your checkbook. Every single one is full of disciplines. You practice your disciplines enough, they become a habit, and they get forged into your identity. But this is what I've learned. If you want to break down the reason why a person is successful or not successful, you want to rip open the veils and look behind the curtains, there's actually a very compelling model to why they are successful. It's due to their discipline or lack of discipline. In other words, if you want to have a better marriage, you say, hey, you have amazing marriage. I want to have your marriage. You know how you can emulate that? You copy their discipline. They have some discipline in place for their marriage that you don't know about. Ask for the secret and practice it. If you want a better relationship with God, okay, it's not magic. Find a person who has an amazing relationship with God, ask for their discipline, and practice it. Often for us to grow, we focus on big, dramatic things. But instead, we should focus on the seemingly small disciplines and repeat them over and over and over and over again. So you're talking about discipline in the church. What does God think about the whole thing about discipline? Well, see, to me, the power of discipline is kind of like the power of gravity. God created gravity. God created the power of discipline. In other words, it applies to everybody. You know, see, I'm a person who studies why people are effective, why people are successful. I look at people and I ask the question, how did you get to where you are? And I look around and I say, why is it some people who don't know God, who could care less about God, are so much more successful in their business, in their finances, in their marriage, in their parenting than Christians? I ask that question, do you ever wonder that? Why is that the case? It's because they are more disciplined. Just like you're a Christian doesn't exempt you from the law of gravity, being a Christian doesn't exempt you from the power of discipline. 
doesn't matter how much you say you love Jesus. If you don't have a discipline of a healthy diet, regular exercise, you'll probably get sick. Right? doesn't matter how much, how spiritual you think you are. If you only go to work when you feel led by the Spirit, <laughs> you only pay your bills when you feel the Lord told you to, you're probably going to suffer financially and professionally. This is where the law of discipline kicks in. I want to be real here. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things when what God really wants us to do is practice good old-fashioned perseverance in establishing discipline in all areas of our lives. And in fact, I will argue that if you follow the Bible, if you study the Bible, you realize Christians should be the most disciplined people on earth. We should be. Jesus calls to make disciples of all nations. How can we make disciples if we are not disciplined? Proverbs 25, 28 has an amazing verse. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You could have an amazing city. You could be the most talented person. Think Samson. Think King David. Think Solomon. You have wealth. You have knowledge. You have all these things. Beautiful city. But if without discipline, without self-control, it's like there's a hole in the wall. The enemy can come anytime and pillage and steal and rob and destroy you anytime he wants without discipline. Proverbs 12.1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. How about 1 Corinthians? Paul's admonition. Don't you realize that in the race everyone runs, only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win the prize that will fade away, but we do it for eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. What Paul is saying is if you want to win the prize, an eternal prize, you must, you must fight for it. You must practice discipline. The reason we don't talk about discipline much, I talk about this in market share, is because it's not sexy. It's not glamorous, and the worst part, it's slow in producing effects. Most habits and disciplines don't start producing fruit for six to eight months. Two months in, you already give up, you already give up this discipline. Isn't that real? Isn't that true? We want fast, dramatic results. Well, what discipline does, it produces small, uh, incremental fruit that works slowly, but over time, it compounds into amazing fruit. See, I call discipline the unsung hero for success that no one talks about behind the scenes. But if you really want to be successful in anything you do, you practice discipline. So I'm saying all that to give you a context to what I'm going to talk about next. I want to give you one of the most overlooked discipline that is key to success in every area of your life. I'm talking about emotional health. I'm talking about physical health. I'm talking about spiritual health. I'm talking about success in your business, success in your marriage, success in your parenting, success in your relationship with God, success in every area. Are you interested in this discipline, this keystone discipline? Here is the discipline, the discipline of staying connected with the body of Christ. Now, most people don't consider staying connected a relationship 
as a discipline. And that's where we make our grave mistake. We think it's supposed to be easy. We think it's supposed to be fun. We don't see it as a discipline. But mark my words, staying connected, staying connected with the body of Christ is a discipline. Because there will be many, many times you will want to run away. There are those among you today who would rather train for the marathon than to train to have a discipline of intimacy and vulnerability with the body. Because it's that difficult. There will be a time in which you feel understood, misunderstood. You feel people are judging you, and all you do is want to hide. There will be a time in which you don't want to forgive. You don't want to let go. You don't want to be patient. That's when discipline must kick in. You need to fight to be connected with the body of Christ because deep within these disciplines is amazing reward, amazing fruit. But I want to frame the context as a discipline because that's how we need to understand it. Here's a vision, Acts 2. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, tending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the Acts 2. This is the New Testament church that many people quote. This is the prototype New Testament church. We ought to be like this type of church. We ought to have this type of community. But what's missing is do you know how hard it is? The discipline is required to establish this sense of connectedness. It is not easy. But we don't have a choice. To have this level of community, we need to establish four, at least four disciplines of connection. I'm going to give you guys four disciplines that you should have, you must have, to stay connected with the body of Christ. And I want to have a disclaimer here, okay? This is hard. This is something that I have practiced once or twice or throughout my life, but never in my life have I practiced all four together. In fact, this message is for me and for my, my wife. Just even last night we were talking about this, okay? This is not a condemning or shaming message. This is setting the goal of what it should look like. I struggle with these disciplines like anybody else because they're hard. It's hard because people are messy. People are difficult. People are sinners. I'm a sinner. Okay? So this is not about shaming us. This is just giving us a vision of what things ought to be. Does that make sense? Because I don't want to be a hypocrite up here. I want to declare loud and clear, I struggle with this like everyone else. This is very difficult. That's why we need discipline. So I'm going to give you four disciplines. If you look at these four, you're just like, man, this is crazy. Well, just focus on one. Just pick one. It will grow you, I promise. So here's the first discipline. And this is probably one of the hardest ones. Practicing the discipline of being known, which requires vulnerability and intimacy. See, we need to understand us human beings were created to be connected. Okay? Just like a computer laptop, it needs a power cord, Right? Without it was designed to need a power core. Human beings are designed to be connected. I like to remind people that when God made Adam, before sin came into the world, right, what did God say to Adam? Well, say about Adam. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, before sin even came into the world, we were designed to be connected with other people. 
It's not because of sin. God made us that way because God himself is a community in the Trinity. We're designed to reflect him, and we're designed to be connected. In other words, if you're not connected, you're dysfunctional to a certain degree. We need to understand this. It's a medical fact that for infants and the elderly, one of the biggest issues for sickness and death is lack of connection. There was this crazy experiment done by Frederick II in the 13th century. This emperor is a barbaric experiment. He wanted to know what language kids would speak on their own if no one taught them any language. Okay? He had this weird idea. He wanted to know what that would look like. So what he did, he took a number of infants from their homes and put them with people who fed them but had strict instructions not to touch them, cuddle with them, or talk to these babies. You know what was the result of the experiment? The kids never spoke a word. They all died. Even though the language experiment was a failure, it led to important discovery, connection, touch, hugging, cuddling, speaking, attention is essential to life. Think about that for a second. These babies died because they lack connection. We are born, we are created to need connection. Now, I have a year and a half, her name's Allure, and I found every chance I get, I'll grab her and I'll hug her. Not even for her sake, because sometimes she's pushing me away because, you know, I got some beer on my face. But it's for my sake. When I hug her, when I hug my kids, when I hug my wife, I feel better. I, I just feel better because we're made for a connection. The problem is most people are unaware of this need. We're so used to living disconnected. Maybe we grew up in a family that's disconnected, dysfunctional. So we don't even know about this deep desire, this deep need in the heart. About a year ago, I was having all kind of health, health, health issues and health problems. So eventually I decided to be a grown-up and actually go, do, go, go see Dr. Jacobus and do a blood test and see what's going on. And among all the issues I had problems, my vitamin D level was so low, okay? The average, the, the normal vitamin D level, I looked it up, was supposed to be between 50 and 70 nanograms per milliliter, 50 to 70 units, okay? I was at 16, really, like off the curve low. But to see the problem, and, and, and if you know anything about vitamin D, when you have low vitamin D, it affects everything. It affects your sleep, your energy, your mood, everything, right? Well, I didn't know about that. No one taught me about vitamin Ds. No one taught me about proper nutritions. I just cope with it. And every day, life becomes a bit harder, okay? The weight of life becomes a bit difficult to deal with. The temptations become stronger because of this deficiency in my nutrition. That's how many of us like in the world. We're never aware of this lack of connection in our life. So we walk around, we're exhausted, we're tired, we're dysfunctional, we're tempted, we're angry, we're frustrated. We act out against our parents and we don't even know what's wrong because we've never been trained, we've never been taught this deep need that we have in our hearts. So what do we do instead? We do the only thing we know. That deep pain, we fill it with what we do know, right? What the world offers. We'll fill that pain with food. We'll fill that pain with alcohol, 
drugs, sex, pleasure, okay? And then you got the more socially acceptable version of that. You fill it with money, possessions, work, accomplishments. There's no shame here. This is all we know what to do. Every single one of us does this because that's all we know. When you're in pain, you just want to cover up that pain. But in our society today, think about this picture. You're hurt, you're lacking, you're walking dysfunctional because of disconnection. So you, 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 you fill it up with something else, like alcohol, drugs, or maybe even crime or violence. All that leads to further isolation, further disconnect. You become an alcoholic, now you alienate your family. You, 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 you steal money to get drugs, now you're in jail. It becomes a vicious cycle. Now you're even more isolated and more isolated and more isolated. Do you guys see this pattern? It becomes a vicious cycle. Next thing you know, your life is destroyed, your family is destroyed, your community is destroyed. This happens all around us. Here's the key. The body of Christ should be able to come into that picture and says, I'm going to build a bridge. I know you don't even know about this connection that, that you need. Okay, you know nothing about God, and you don't even want this connection, but you need it. So I'm going to be the bridge. As a body of Christ, I'm going to be the bridge between you and the community and the body and Jesus. That's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the bridge that stopped this vicious cycle. But the problem with the body of Christ is we ourselves are hurting. We ourselves are not connected. We ourselves don't even know how to fulfill this need because we are depending on drugs, alcohol, whatever, to fulfill this need because we ourselves are not connected. The body of Christ needs to be very careful about the discipline of connection. How can we help others when we're covering our own needs with all the junk of the world and something even worse. This is where I'm going to kind of hit on some sacred cows here. Even worse, religious activities. Covering our need for connection. And I'm preaching to myself here. My wife and I were just talking about it. We were trained. We're, past, we're pastor's kids. We were trained. We were groomed. Okay? No one's fault. This is just our culture. We were trained to, to fill this deep need for connections through our religious activities, through whether it's Bible studies or teaching in Sunday school. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm simply saying we have fulfilled those needs with doing good stuff. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have visions about these things. The sinful mind... Sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments and grows as God nourishes it. God, the Bible teaches us that the body of Christ, the people of God, should be deeply connected to each other to fulfill that need. And God's the one that holds us together like ligaments and joints. So I want to ask you the question, do you have a regular discipline of building a deeply connected community with each other? You know, we, in, in our discipleship group, some of you has, have been through our discipleship group, we do something called a story retreat. Who's been through a story retreat before? Raise your hand. Okay. 
So for those who's been to what, what we do is we go off-site a little bit. We go to somewhere a little bit more remote, group of men and group of women separately. And what we do, we take a whole day and we share our stories with each other. You know, when I first heard about the story retreat, I'm like, a bunch of guys sharing their stories with each other? Are they really going to do that? I mean, are we, are we really going to spend all day doing this? I've been to probably three or four story retreats. And it ends up being the most powerful time. These men sharing their deep hurts, deep wounds, deep victories with each other, tears connecting. In the middle of the story retreat, I realized, wow, just by allowing people to know your story, not only are, am I encouraged, you are being healed because you are being known. It seems almost magical. It's, it's, it's so weird to me. The process of sharing your life, sharing your story allows you to be healed, allows you to be strong. That's one reason why we're doing these stories, these testimonies. Not only may you be encouraged, but the people sharing their stories might be strengthened. They might be strong. They might be healed. About two weeks ago, my buddy Mark Schilling called me up. He's like, hey, Andrew, we haven't talked in a while. I know you've been going through a lot. Let's get together and chat. Tell me what you've been going through. You know what my first instinct is? Probably your first instinct. I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. But I remember, I need connection. I need to be known. I need to be heard. And I need to know how he's doing. I need to know what's going on in his life. So I made myself, made the time to go and connect with him. This is why it needs to be a discipline, especially when someone asks you, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, you feel shame, you feel disconnection, you thought about all the mistakes you made. In the middle of that maelstrom of shame, we need to be thinking, we need the discipline of being known. Amen? Amen. Yes. That's the first discipline. The second discipline, this one's also very tough, asking and receiving feedback. Here's a very simple model to grow, Okay. Feedback plus regular application equals growth. I'm going to give you an example. Our amazing creative director, Matt McKay, he was uh, on the guitar here. One day he called me into his office. I'm like, what did I do this time? He said, Andrew, hey, come sit down. So Pastor Ron and I do a podcast every, uh, comes out every Thursday. So Matt's there editing the podcast. And he said, Andrew, I want you to listen to something. So it turns out that after every time I speak, I do this. <coughs> I clear my throat almost every time after I speak. Okay? And Matt shows it to me. And if you do editing, you realize you can see, like, the wavelength of my clearing my throat. And after every single time I speak, I see that little up and down, up and down wavelength. So what Matt has been doing, poor guy, he's been meticulously going to our podcast. And every time I speak, edit out that piece. <coughs> edit out. Over and over and over again. He's like, you probably don't even know you're doing this. I'm like, I had no idea I was doing this. I had no clue. I have a blind spot on this. I thought I was giving such an elegant point. I didn't realize I was covering up. So he gave me feedback. So what am I going to do with it? I had to adjust. So what I did is next time when the podcast, I brought some water. After I spoke, I worked hard. Shut up, don't say anything else. And if I feel the itchiness, I drink some water. Very simple example, right? And guess what? He says, I'm doing much better now. 
He's not spending hours editing my <clears throat> way. True story. It happened like two weeks ago. That's how feedback is supposed to help us grow. But here's the truth. That scenario almost never happens. The truth is most of the time people see something and they don't say it because they don't want to offend you. Because they don't want to have a confrontation. Okay? Or maybe they do say something. They do give you feedback and you say, you know what? Who are you to tell me this? Because there's no trust. There's no equity built into this. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from the sincere friends are better than many kisses from an enemy. That's exactly what he's talking about. Exactly what he's talking about. But to have a sincere friend who loves you enough to give you wounds requires discipline. Because most of the time, even a sincere friend's wounds hurts. And you don't really want anything to do with it. That's why it requires discipline. About a month ago, my wife was giving me an opportunity to grow. <laughs> Real story. She, she, she sat down with me and she says, you know what? Your negativity is really affecting our family. Your negativity is really affecting our family. I don't know how much longer I can handle that. And my first thought is, I'm negative. Do you know what I've been going through? Do you know how hard it's been for me? Do you know how positive am I trying to become? If you want to see negativity, I'll show you negativity. Real story. These are all the things that go through my mind and my heart. But see, my wife wasn't saying that to tear me down. She was giving me feedback. She was inviting me to grow, to change. And because of the trust that we have laid, because of her heart of bringing that feedback to me in that moment, I knew I had a decision to make. I have to practice some discipline in that moment. I had to change. And this past week when I was working on the sermon, my wife and I work on She helps me write my sermon. I asked her, I said, so, it's been a month. Give me some feedback. Her literal words is, it's been a dramatic change. I grew. This is what growth looks like. Again, it's not necessarily fun or glamorous. There was no halo and light from the sky. I had to practice the discipline that when I get negative, when I become a victim, I think I snap myself out of it. No, you're not a victim. Feedback where regular practice needs to grow. Do you have a discipline of feedback? Do you have a discipline of asking a trusted friend, a sincere friend, to say, hey, give me some feedback? Do you have a discipline when a trusted friend gives you feedback, it doesn't feel good to receive it. This is all discipline-based. The third discipline, the discipline to ask for help. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, Romans 12, 15. Galatians 6, 2. Share each other's burden and in this way obey the law of Christ. What does it mean to share each other's burden? One of the most important principles we must practice is to help each other. But, but I know you guys. You would take the shirt off your back right now to help your neighbors. They're sitting next to you right now. I know it. That's who you are. However, are you willing to practice the discipline of humbling yourself and asking for help when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're nervous, when you're struggling, when you messed up? That is the discipline 
of asking for help. What does it mean to carry each other's burden? I want to use an illustration. You guys might be wondering why I have this up here. Do I have time to put it on? Because it takes me like five minutes to put it on. I'll put it on just as a demonstration. Did I put this on wrong? I don't even know how this works. Oh, it's upside down, right? Jay? I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to put it here. Second service, I'm going to actually put it on correctly. So for those who don't know, that's a Kevlar armor. It's a body armor. I borrowed from my good friend Jason Ray right there, who's a police officer. So the Lord gave me the example of Kevlar. So I don't know if you guys know how Kevlar works. I didn't know. Can you guys show that picture? So I thought Kevlar was made of metal. Okay, it's not. Like Kevlar is supposed to protect you from bullets, right? It's supposed to. So I thought it was like metal, but it's not. It's actually hardened plastic that's woven together like that. It looks like threads. It's woven together. That's why Kevlar is so light. It's not metal. It's flexible. So pound for pound, Kevlar is so much harder than steel. Did you know that? That's why it can stop a bullet. So how does Kevlar actually work? I, I went to the, the DuPont website and I read it. Kevlar fibers are tightly spun together. It's very difficult to separate them, like the body of Christ. So when a bullet hits Kevlar, the fiber acts as one body to slow down and stop the projectile by working together to absorb and dissipate the kinetic energy. This is incredible. In other words, if I'm wearing the Kevlar and the bullets hit right here, it is drawing the, the integrity, the strength of the whole armor together to stop the kinetic energy of that bullet. It's working together as a unit. That's the reason why you can only use Kevlar once. Because once a bullet hits it, it's exhaust the integrity of the whole Kevlar armor. It moves as one unit. Because how tight, look at that picture, how tightly it's woven together, layers upon layers upon layers. The body of Christ needs to become like the Kevlar armor. Now the difference is, we don't, we're not just one use. When one part's hurting, we come together and we support and we carry each other's burden. And then we get healed and we're stronger than ever before. And then we're ready for the next attack. Next time it's attack over here. Well, all the body comes together and help that support each other. Until they get healed and then we're stronger than ever before. Why do you think Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot come against my church, the body of Christ? Because we're supposed to be woven together as one unit. Now, I actually thought about using this illustration, and I was hoping that, you know, someone would let me wear the Kevlar and then shoot them with a bullet. Then you'll probably remember this illustration. However, I don't think Jay would be super happy about that, and the safety response will have some issues. But I want you to remember that's how we're supposed to be. We are literal in carrying each other's burden. This is not a symbolic turn. That's how we become an unstoppable body. But look what happens in reality. When we are weary, when we're anxious, when we're tired, we're exhausted, we're depressed, when we make a mistake, our first my first instinct is to isolate, right? We isolate ourselves. I don't want to see other people. I don't want to be around other people. I don't want to talk about my problems. This is where the discipline must kick in. This is where the body of Christ must come in. 
So the third discipline is the discipline of asking for help. Do you have a discipline that when you're struggling to reach out to a trusted friend and says, I need accountability. I need someone to give me the truth. I'm living lies. I'm in delusion right now. I have no faith right now. I need support. Often my wife is that voice for me. Or she would say, hey, you need to call buddy because you need some help right now. This is the discipline at work. Before I get to my fourth discipline, I want to just kind of share from my heart real quickly. You know, we're created to be connected, but the body of Christ is not really connected. If you look at the scope of the church in America today, we're very disconnected. Uh, In fact, with COVID, it's, it's gotten worse. And there are very compelling reasons why we are not connected. And, and, and I want to make this real. I want to make this practical. I made a list of all the reasons why we are not connected. And every single one of these reasons, I understand. They're very compelling. So I'm going to quickly go through these reasons. Uh, can you go through that list real quick? I bet you can connect with one or multiple. The first reason we are not connected is simply because we don't know how to be in a relationship. Okay. We have never been in a relationship before, a healthy relationship, a connected relationship before. There's no model, so we just simply don't know how, okay? Do we have a slide of those? The second one is you've been in a relationship before, but you've been deeply hurt. This is very practical. You've been hurt before. You say, hey, I don't want to go back into this. I try, I try be vulnerable. I try sharing my heart. It didn't work. Third reason is you simply don't see a need. You feel like your life is good. Your life is fine. I don't need to be connected. I don't need to do something different. How about this one? I hear this one a lot. You go to a life group or you go to marriage class and you feel passively judged by other people. You feel rejected. You don't fit in. Okay? Anyone ever felt that way before? The whole room, people, everyone is such great friends. Everyone knows each other. I don't fit in. Number five. You don't really want to be known. We talk about the, the discipline of being known. Do I really want other people to know me? Do I really want to be known? If people really knew the thoughts in my head, if people really knew how I spoke to my wife in private, if people really knew what's on my search engine on my phone, would they still love me? Do I really want to be known? Okay, legitimate fear. And how about number six? It just takes too much work. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I got a bunch of young kids. I got work. I got this. I got that. I don't have energy. I don't have time to pursue this. You know, about 15 years ago, when I moved to Crown Point, Pastor Ron told me, hey, you should go join a life group. So I joined Lonnie and Teresa Dyer's life group, for those who have been around knows them. They had a large life group, probably 30 people coming to the life group, a bunch of young adults. I was a young adult 15 years ago. Not, not so much anymore. <laughs> I want to tell you, going to life group was the hardest thing in the world. You know the whole fellowship time in the beginning? I literally felt like I was in middle school during lunch. Carrying my lunch tray, they're all popular, cool kids, and I walk around, and eventually I sit by myself, by myself, and feeling like I'm isolated and lonely. And I felt that over and over and over and over again in life group. And here's the deal. I kept waiting for things to get better. I kept waiting for that magic moment to connect with the other guys in my life group. And it never came. Weeks and months and months of feeling isolated, disconnected, all these things I felt over and over and over again. That was about 15 years ago. And here's the fun thing I thought, I thought about. I look at those guys today. All of them are some of my best friends. 
I honestly have no clue how it happened. There was no magic moment. There wasn't a heart connect gush. But bit by bit, slowly through the discipline of showing up. I don't know how. I honestly came and decided how Mark and I became friends. I have no idea how. I don't know how Rodney and I got close. I, I don't even know how. It just it happened almost subtly under the radar because I practiced the discipline of just showing up. And that's the fourth discipline. Sometimes those other things are too complicated. I get it, man. They're tough. But you just have to practice the discipline of keep showing up. Keep showing up. My wife told me, she said, you got to set proper expectation. She said for her, it took her six years to feel connected. Some of you might take longer or less time, but we just keep showing up. There's no formula. There's no shortcuts to be deeply connected in the community. The only thing I can offer is Hebrew chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produced a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It takes time. It takes discipline. But my challenge to you guys today is are you willing? You look at the world out there. You, if you have the eyes to see the plague of disconnection in our world today, do you have a vision to say I want to become that bridge? But I'm telling you, you cannot be a bridge to the world unless you yourself are deeply connected, embedded with the body of Christ. So I want to invite you guys this morning. I know I'm out of time. Service is coming in. But this is important. If you heard this message, you're like, yes, I need to practice this discipline. But I can't because of the hurts from the past. Because of wounds, because of betrayal, I've been stabbed in the back, whatever it is, we would love to pray with you this morning. We would love to connect with you this morning. We would love to help you be, start the healing process from the wounds from the past so you can get connected once again. Once again, our life group starts this week. We have marriage class, small groups, marriage class. We have jam. We have celebrate recovery. We want to create opportunities for you to be connected. Will you take a pledge to be disciplined to get connected today? Amen. Have a great day.